Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies brought to you by filmdivider.com. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... James Hunt and Matthew Turner. So, unfortunately, Seb couldn't get to an early screening of Fantastic Four in time for this podcast. But on the flip side, it does mean that we are extremely lucky this week to be joined by film journalist Matthew Turner. Matt, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself? Um, I'm a freelance film journalist. I currently write for Virgin Media, Well, 24-7, Shortlist, Digital Spy and various others. And I'm also a lifelong Marvel fan. Maybe maybe that love has been tested this week. Who knows? Who knows? We'll have to get to the movie to discuss that. <laughs> um, okay, so there is no news this week because we're discussing a new release again, second time in a row. Um, and this week, that is, of course, Josh Trank's Fantastic Four or potentially Fox and Simon Kinbo's Fantastic Four. We'll get into that. Um, instead, hopefully you enjoyed our Batman Arkham Asylum episode from earlier in the week, uh, and we'll be back to normal from next Wednesday on with a mini-sode next Wednesday and a full episode the Wednesday following that. So instead, this week, we will kick things off with a spoiler-free discussion of Fantastic Four. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, uh, you can listen to our spoiler-free section and then um, pause there, go watch the movie and listen to the rest. Um, And then we will launch into our main spoilerific chat. But before any of that, I am going to ask James to explain a comic book concept that, as a movie fan, I just don't understand. I'm just going to stick with Fantastic Four. It makes a lot of sense. Can you explain the negative zone and is that what i've just seen in a movie this week according to josh trank's podcast with kevin smith it is the negative zone according to the film itself you know there's no clear indication either way but basically the like the negative zone is it's a dimension like inverse to ours which it has has its own planets and inhabitants and, you know, civilizations and stuff. Uh, but the crucial thing is there is only one negative zone which exists for every other universe. Okay, that's interesting. So so when so in the Marvel multiverse, like six one six has the same negative zone as anything else. As the ultimate universe, yeah. Wow, so is that is that normally a good device to you know, like make crossovers happen? Is that a good way to get like I don't know Ultimate Spider Man and Spider Man on the same page for a, for a week or in in Ultimate Fantastic Four they go to the same negative zone as the regular Marvel Universe, and that was the first time they ever sort of linked 
the two universes up in any way. Right. Uh, yeah, it took a it took a long time for them to go any further than that. But yeah, it's not how they did it, but it is one way they could have done it. And does it tend to be a thing that is used a lot for the Fantastic Four, or is it something that pops up in lots of different comics? Yeah, it's very much a Fantastic Four thing, primarily, I think. Yeah, all, in fact, almost entirely Fantastic Four. It's pretty rare any anyone else would go there. I'm sure if if Fox get a a bumper box office weekend this week uh, for Fantastic Four, then maybe the X-Men could journey there. Actually, is is Doctor Strange not a fan of the Negative Zone? Uh, He's more astral plane, I guess, isn't he? They all have these these things, these weird sort of other other worlds, (laughs) don't they? And the astral plane isn't the microverse. Or the Negative Zone, no. Or the Quantum Realm. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, crucially, like Reed Richards is the only one who's got a doorway to the Negative Zone. So if you want to go, you have to go through him. He's just, he's just got a doorway. Well, he he built the original portal and no one else knows how to do it. Yeah, they basically chuck supervillains in there that, that can't be held in conventional <laughs> methods. I, I mean, I'm still very confused, but thank you for that explanation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's move on now to our spoiler-free discussion of Fantastic Four. But before we do, let's take a listen to the original trailer for the movie. Dr. Storm. We gave you six years and millions of dollars, and you gave us nothing. What's different now? Reed Richards. He knows answers to questions we don't even know to ask yet. This is our chance to learn more about our planet and maybe even save it. I want you to meet my daughter, Sue. You want to be famous? I just want my work to make a difference. John, Reed. This guy doesn't take orders well. Yeah, especially from people who say, I don't take orders well. Don't let any of these lab coats give you any crap, all right? Well, if I do, I know who to call. The muscle. I gotta say, it's fun having you here. Really? No. (laughs) What you've created here is incredible. You guys sure you're in the best shape to be doing this? Yeah. Yeah. We're good. They just cracked interdimensional travel. Incredible. All I want to know is where are my children? Four have survived. All exhibit unique physical conditions. Just want to fix my friends. You can't fix this. You should use these powers to help people. You opened a door. You don't know how to close. You don't know anything about what's coming. What is coming? Right, so that was the trailer for Fantastic Four, which we have all now seen. Um, and given that it's been um, in cinemas for a couple of days, hopefully um, a lot of you listeners have as well. James, I think I'll come to you first. What were your thoughts generally on this Fantastic Four movie? Where does it rank for you in uh, in the Fantastic Four movie canon? Oh, I've... I'm- I've not seen the 90s film yet. Uh, I've been saving that for when we finally get around to doing a podcast on it. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. I would say it ranks somewhere between it's below the first film and above shutting your fingers in a door. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like to elaborate on that? (laughs) Uh, I feel like it was a lot of 
interesting ideas that maybe failed in the execution great like fantastic cast like no pun intended like you know i really enjoyed the portrayals of most of the characters uh first act of the film was great and the second two like uh, it was you who used the word created yes which yeah. i think describes accurately the dip it takes yeah i would say that there is almost um there are three little words that doom this movie and those are one year later yeah um <laughs> Matt, are you are you on the same page as James and I, or uh, are you are you more positive? I'm slightly more positive. I think I, I'm not. I'm not going to kind of disagree with the fact that the third act is is very disappointing compared to what's gone before. But I liked enough of what they did before to sort of see it through, really. And I, I agree. I think the cast is fantastic. Again, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> I liked a lot of what they did with the with the changing the characters and changing the sort of dynamic. Um, I've got a theory about about well, well, I've got a sort of comeback to one of the main criticisms, but I think maybe I'll leave that till we till we actually talk about it. Oh, I'm um, intrigued, very intrigued. <laughs> but I look, let's put it this way: I liked it. I liked it more than I liked Rise of the Silver Surfer, which I which I thought was actively terrible for for most <laughs> of it. Um, I did like the first one, but the first one was flawed as you know the first Tim story one, but the first one was flawed as well. Um, yeah. I think this is this is interesting and flawed, but I do want to see the next one. Let's put it that way. I mean, I, I, I'm definitely closest to James. Um, and in fact, I think, I think for me, enough things went wrong with this movie that I was actively reaching back in my mind for the last time I'd watched a superhero movie that I, I felt had been as bad as this. And I, and, I, and I think we'll get into specifics on this, but a lot of the stuff that I like about the first half of the movie... Or, or as much as I think when I was watching it, I was like, "This is this is solid. You, you've you've got me on side for now. I will be very interested where you go with this because it it, for, it did for a long time feel kind of slow, a, a little bit drab. The color scheme is all silvers and greys and blacks, and I, I wasn't having an awful lot of fun with it. But I did think there is the potential here." to do something interesting. And then there is a scene that occurs just about the halfway point where I was like, oh, now this is really interesting. And then those three little words again. And yeah, I, I, I think it's probably... I don't think it's as bad as any of these movies that I'm going to mention, but I think it's probably the worst superhero movie that I've seen in the past four or five years outside of Ghost Rider 2, Kick-Ass 2, and Green Lantern. Uh <laughs> And I hate to be that negative. I really hate to. And I hate to be that negative because there seems to be so many people out there reveling in this film being bad or reveling in the reaction to this film being bad. And like, oh, we knew it would be bad. And honestly, I think some of the reason it might be bad is because people were expecting it to be and that Fox have tinkered with it since. I mean, the, the evidence is on the screen that some fairly major changes have been made to this film in during the production. And I do wonder whether that was a reaction to people already damning it online but i don't i don't think it's anywhere near as bad as green lantern i mean that's that's i actively hated green lantern and <laughs> uh, and that was and some of the others you mentioned were just just terrible terrible movies i never thought this was terrible i thought it was maybe disappointing in places slow like you say um but never like unwatchable I thought I thought that I mean that maybe that's where we differ then because for me the last twenty minutes were uh, uh, <laughs> atrocious. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, for for me, the the one it reminds me of most is Amazing Spider-Man Two, which I mm. 
Like yeah. I, I had the same reaction to Amazing Spider-Man Two that I had to this, which is like it, it messed up what it was trying. Like it took away everything that was good about the character, but didn't replace it with anything better. It was just so it got off on the wrong foot and just went in the wrong direction. Like there was no, no way of saving it by the time it real. I realized it was going bad. I'm actually quite a fan of Amazing Spider-Man Two as well, and um, <laughs> and as a sort of lifelong Spider-Man fan, I, I really got kind of what I wanted from that movie. Different yeah. podcast, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Different podcast. Okay, okay, sorry. Carry on. Just quickly, uh, the other thing that I liked was the score. Yeah. Because I think Philip Glass was a good choice. Like, I, I forget who he was working with, but just, I like Philip Glass anyway, so I, I, I was enjoying listening to the music, if nothing else. I will also say, like, in, in reaction to what you... Um, in comment, sort of what you said earlier uh, about them taking away what was good about the character and not replacing it with anything interesting. I, I disagree. I think they, I think they made that work. The, basically, the changes, the changes they made, I think, for the most part, worked. And, and I didn't think they were going to. I, I think there's a, there's a lot that works about the setup of the five main players on paper. I think there's a lot that kind of uh, theoretically or thematically seems like it's going to be quite interesting. I just never felt like it really came together or the point at which it should have been able to come together the movie stopped being interested in in servicing any of that stuff or just didn't weirdly for a first for a first half that's so slow and there's not a huge amount of incident in the first 45 minutes um i i was i was surprised come the second half quite how little i felt i knew about a lot of the characters and a lot of the character relationships well this this is actually one of my main criticisms of the film is that there were a lot of two-handers and for something that's specifically about an ensemble, I didn't like. I don't think Ben and Sue get any scenes or any interactions that are worth noting. And it's no. like it, it's hard to get a handle on the characters when they spend so much time just in straight conversations with no sort of no variety. Like it's just Johnny talks to Reed, Reed talks to Sue, Sue talks to Doom, and it's sort of everyone is one note in all their conversations it never really fleshes them out this that does kind of play into what i want to talk about later but uh again <laughs> it's again it's going to okay. later well shall we shall we bring our spoiler free chat to a close there because i really don't think there's a huge amount we can get into without without um exploring specifics on this one yeah and i i hopefully think that if you've if you've listened to that conversation um uh, and haven't seen the film, you're going to want to either see it and listen to the rest, or just go straight on and listen to the rest. Um, because, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a, a fun and lively discussion. Um, so, so what we'll do now, we'll briefly listen to another quick clip um, from the film to give people a chance to uh, not get spoiled rather than diving straight in, and then we'll be back with that properly spoilerific discussion straight after that. All right, gentlemen, hands and feet must remain inside the ride at all times. Dad, you need to come to the lab. Don't blow up. Don't blow up. Oh, yeah, that's what I want to hear before going into another dimension. Three, two, one. Blow up, blow up. Okay, so that was a clip from Fantastic Four, um, and I think where I'd, I'd like to start, guys, is actually by um, talking about what this what this is riffing on the comics. So I think what we've 
what we've assumed for quite a long time and what I'm guessing proved to be true is that this is basically an adaptation of Ultimate Fantastic Four. Yeah, I don't Matt, have you read Ultimate Fantastic Four? No, I haven't. No, neither have I. Like, but I've... I did I did read the Wikipedia entry. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the the bits of it I've read are from much later in the run. I think Doom especially is influenced by the Ultimate version. Do you mean that visually or um character-wise? Uh, well, yeah, like well visually in the fact that he's got a kind of goatee and character-wise in that he's not a Latverian dictator. I, I mean, I didn't realise... I'd heard, obviously, that it was influenced by the Ultimate Comics, but I hadn't quite realised until I read the Wikipedia entry just how much that was true. Like, um, there's a lot of... So the childhood history stuff, the childhood relationship between Ben and Reed um, comes from the Ultimate Comics, and the um, introduction of... Um, Franklin Storm also comes from the um, so that so the fact that Reed has a mentor, an older mm-hmm. mentor, also comes from the uh, from the Ultimate Comics. I hadn't realised that. Yeah, and so so we so in so in this version, then we've got Reed and Ben are schoolmates who kind of <clears throat> are very different in that Reed is pretty much a childhood genius, and Ben, um, although he doesn't get to say a lot, it seems that maybe he's not the smartest tool in the shed, but that he is, he he forges a bond with uh, Reed through trust and friendship, and that and that kind of trust and friendship is retained for like 10, 10 15 years into the future when they grow up, and Reed is actually at the, or is it no seven years into the future? Seven, isn't it? yeah, seven years. I've got to say, <laughs> I was so thrown by that opening scene. I'm an American football fan, and there's some little kid in like a flashback scene saying. When I grow up, I want to be like my hero, Eli Manning. And I'm like, <laughs> Eli Manning, the, the quarterback who's in the NFL right now. When is this film set? And then it flashed up 2007. I'm like, oh, wow, 2007 is like, is a flashback. Also very confusing that in the movie, presumably Reed and Ben are supposed to be 17, 18, while both looking about 30. Mm-hmm. Is it a coincidence <laughs> that 2007 was the year Rise of the Silver Surfer came out? <laughs> maybe 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 that's where a young Reed Richards got his uh, inspiration for his ideas by watching that film I'm also <laughs> I'm also pretty certain they cut out um, like bullying scenes and stuff like 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 Ben rescuing Reed from bullies or even or even Reed helping Ben with his kind of abuse at home situation you know I'm sure there was meant to be there's the throwaway line to his big brother saying it's clobbering time as he's about to beat the crap out of him presumably right um which kind of beds the the um thing catchphrase yeah the catchphrase of the thing but also kind of hints at a domestic abuse situation but that's it's all very it's all very quick in that opening situation which is just ben and reed and i actually really like that i don't know about you guys but i i I watched those first five or so minutes thinking oh i'm getting a real like amblin feel from this yeah yeah that is yeah dante spielberg like mid to late 80s and and that's why i I found it so jarring when it flashed up 2007 (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's Um, a good point actually i hadn't thought about that but you're absolutely right it does have a real 80s vibe to it and then it turns out it's 2007 yeah Um, i really enjoyed that i could done i could have done with a lot more of it um i would have been i've been quite happy for them to have introduced even like you know Sue or or something like that at, at that just, age, and and had a whole first half of the movie. Well, okay, that's being well. That's how being, about if there was? Yeah, maybe there was like a even if it was just instead of being five minutes long, it was ten minutes long, and you got a parallel scene with 
a Sue Storm and family adopting yeah, Sue. I, I remember thinking it, it's kind of odd how we, the first time we meet Johnny and Sue, they're basically like grown up doing you know their own thing like there's there's not much setup of their sibling relationship so it doesn't like when it's introduced it just feels a bit sort of rote it's like Mm. oh they're you know they're the storms you know this from the publicity so it did genuinely throw me the whole kind of age thing given that they all look so much older so i was like well (laughs) miles teller and jamie bell look older than 18 so I, i kind of don't buy them as 18 here but then when kate mara and michael b jordan show up they don't look 18 either so i'm supposed to think well are they older then but I, I and I, I never really knew, and then I was also aware that of kind of stuff that James, you and Seba told me in the past that like Reed and um, Sue are kind of like the parental figures of the group, and that Johnny and Ben are the kids. Mm-hmm. And so then I was wondering whether that was playing in at all. And then Victor was older, but looked exactly the same age as all <laughs> <Yeah>. of them. <laughs> um, it, <laughs> it was confusing. I I just wondered why they needed to be eighteen, or couldn't like. Franklin Storm had recruited Reed when he was 21 coming out of university, say, instead of being 18 coming out of school. I, I actually have an answer for that question. Oh, which hit I, me with it. I think Josh Trank thought he was making a film about generational conflict. There is, I mean, there's, there's stuff in that. I think there's certainly, there's certainly supposed to be, at the end of the film, I kind of think a Sins of the Fathers being visited on the sons. Yeah, like it, it crops up as a theme like numerous times that... Like especially the most notably, I would say it's Victor's speech where he's saying about how you know we we built this thing, but someone else is gonna gonna use yeah. it. Do you know the name of the people who built the Apollo rockets? Like mm. obviously not. Um, and I think that like it feels to me like that was the what Josh Trank was aiming for, and whether he missed it or whether it was sort of cut to ribbons in front of him is a you know different question, but. Have you read the um, Little White Lies review? I have not. That's that's the good one, isn't it? <laughs> that's I know. I know they gave it four stars, but that's all I know. But it really goes into that. It goes into that in great detail, like the okay. millennial conflict and like the sort of older, sort of patriarchal society take like appropriating millennial creativity and turning it into. <laughs> <laughs> for the, using it for their own purposes and things like that. It's a really, I mean, it's it, it's it's worth a read. You may not agree with a single word of it, but it's worth a read. Well, I, I I mean, I haven't read that, but it definitely sounds worth a read because I think I think that kind of stuff does. I think there are glimpses of that kind of stuff in there. I think there are glimpses of really interesting stuff about the theme of family, and it seems to me actually at the end of the film, or at least with with some of the stuff that was set up in the film, the idea that Sue was adopted did seem like a, a really smart move that kind of like blood doesn't necessarily have to define family that family can be pulled together from different things and the fact that reed and ben are so different through from their home life and their intellect but still form this really close familial bond to the point where when reed has his greatest moment he wants ben there by his side um and the fact that, that those kind of fractured ideas of, of what actually defines family, you can then pull these four people together to form a family at the end of it. And I think I think all that stuff that you just mentioned there, Matt, I think there were, there were glimpses of that sort of stuff in the film. I just didn't feel like it ultimately came together. And whether there was a version of this film where it did, uh, uh, given how much of this film seemed to have been 
little bit of ADR here, a reshoot there, <laughs> um, you know, uh, <laughs> shots inserted just to slightly change the meaning in scenes. I, I, there seemed like a lot that had been altered. And I, I, I do think that there was maybe a very interesting film to be made. And, and given what Josh Trank did with Chronicle, I, I think he at least in that film proved that even if you don't like that film, that he sets his stall out with the ideas he wants to explore at the start of the film and he explores them, whether you like them or not, or whether you like the found footage stuff there. I think he does. Um, and obviously he, he has a great script to work with, but yeah, I, I felt like there was, there was, there was just the, the tantalizing glimpses at good ideas in the first half of this movie and they didn't feel elaborated on. I was hoping that they would be elaborated on the second half, and then the second half just felt like it was almost complete a completely different film. Well, yeah. my my this is kind of getting close to what I what I've been talking about um, this is a, before. This is a great tease. <laughs> Building up to this, <laughs> no, suddenly saying. suddenly okay. Matt is going to drop some bombs. No, 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 nothing like that. Nothing like that. But we've been talking about um, okay. One of the main criticisms of the of the movie is that they don't do enough for the in the kind of sense of family dynamic. Like so, the Fantastic Four was famous um, as a comic because it was Marvel's first sort of um, superhero family, and mm. as you say, that dynamic's always been there. Reed and Sue are the parents, Johnny and Johnny and Ben are the sort of bickering brothers or what have you, and so it's understandable that people are annoyed that those elements seem to be largely missing or at least underwritten mm. in the movie. So, but my theory is that is that that's kind of deliberate in that it's more about them coming together at the end to work together despite the fact that they don't actually know each other all that well. Yeah. Now, I don't think that that comes across brilliantly in the movie, but there is, there is a definite element of that. Like, so, so Johnny and Sue are essentially um, estranged, aren't they? Like, he's, he's definitely jealous of her and jealous of her of the attention she gets from their father yeah and the kind of um we don't now the problem there is we don't know how sue feels about johnny um but we but we do know that johnny's kind of not interested in in sort of being around her and and what have you there is definitely we we know how they kind of feel about each other's approach to the military intervention in the second half yeah and the the way that they're kind of both kind of opposed with how they should be dealing with that. And, I mean, similarly, Ben is... OK, he's Reed's best friend, but he's basically off-screen for that entire kind of Baxter-building segment until until they get <laughs> drunk and he and, and he calls him up. Um, and again, so, so you don't have Ben interact As we've said already, you don't have Ben interacting with the other characters beforehand. And so Ben is essentially this kind of unknown quantity to them. And I think that was the... That was probably the intention for that finale, is where, where, where Reed is talking about, like, we have to work together. But, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think they really pulled that off. I'm just saying that that's a, that's, a reason, that's a reason that the family dynamic that people are expecting from the movie and that was in the previous movie pre- mm. movies isn't present in this, in this um, version. Yeah, but if that, if, if that is the case, that last 20 minutes has to be so much stronger. <laughs> it really yeah. does. Yeah. No, I agree, and I but I, and I would hope that the second movie would build on that quite significantly, and and show them and go into those relationships in a much more kind of intricate and, and mm. uh, expect perhaps expected way. 
I mean, it is it is worth saying. Like, you don't you don't have to do the family dynamic just because it's the Fantastic Four. Like, there are, there are other strings to that bow, and like Josh Trank clearly like the characters can support what this was, which was a, a kind of interstellar type science adventure. Like, that's that's one valid way of using the Fantastic Four. Like, they're not just a family; they are also kind of astronauts and explorers. So, I mean, even though they didn't use the family dynamic to its full extent, like I. I don't criticise the film for that necessarily because hmm. I think it's I think, possible to not do it. I think also Reed is Reed is a real focus of this movie in a way that, yeah. like the character of Reed wasn't a focus in the in the previous movie, yeah, and it was it true. was sort of equal equal balance between the between the characters in the first in the first two films. Whereas here, it's very much about him to the admitted detriment of the other characters. But I do think that that is the point. Like we're watching a movie about Reed Richards. Yeah, I, what, what I was going to say is that you, if you look at a movie like The Avengers, which I think is is kind of the is the gold standard when it comes to the superhero team up movie. Anyway, that that was a movie that spent three, four previous movies introducing each of those characters separately. So you'd done all the origins, you'd done all the this is who this character is, and then you had a whole movie of putting them together and actually letting them become a team at the end. So what that movie essentially had was two hours to do what this movie does in 45 minutes in the second half. Now, that obviously puts a lot of the burden on the first half of this movie, which I think you're right, it does give a lot of attention to Reed, and I think Reed is very clearly the best sketch character in the first half, um, very closely followed by um, Doom, Doctor Doom, Victor Von Doom, who, and Toby Kebbell does amazing work, I think, with the very little that he's given in the first half. I, I felt like I got so much of a sense of what that character was feeling um, beyond the dialogue he got, which, and I, I, I don't really blame the, any of the... Other actors for this because I think all of the other actors do reasonably good work with being given very little. But I never got a sense of what Sue felt about anything or what Ben felt about anything because they just get so little screen time. And I mean, yeah, to move to move Ben off to the side is fine if you want to focus on Reed. But then in the second half, I actually thought the thing was the best realised of all of the characters once all the CG comes together and they've they've got superpowers. I thought he looked really great. Um, I thought you got that sense of how horrible it was to be this creature. But I didn't know anything about the guy he was before. So Uh, it it ultimately couldn't mean anything. This is what I was about to say. Like they, they focus so much on what he's lost and how you know, how he wants to get his life back and how bad feel Reed feels for taking it from him. But we've barely seen... Like, he lives on a junkyard and gets hit by his brother. Like, that's the extent of it. And then the flip side of that is that, like I said, I thought they did reasonably good work with Victor in the first half and Toby Kebbell was very good. <laughs> Except then he's absent for half an hour. He comes back for the last 15 minutes. He's covered in horrendous CG. I hated that character design and I haven't read Fantastic Four comics. I'm not a fanboy, but I can imagine if I was that that character realization would absolutely drive me crazy. I just thought he looked abysmal. And Toby Kebbell's performance was completely obscured. He didn't feel like the same character and I was like, well, that really interesting character from the first half, maybe if you get, gave the first half of Victor and the second half of Ben to one character that would be a good arc mm-hmm. but I don't feel like any character in the film had that yeah I, I'm i gonna mount a fairly flimsy defence of uh, of Doctor Doom in <laughs> that 
you can't do the comics character as we've as we've discussed. Like you can't have him be the the emperor of Latveria and what have you. And you and also after the first movie, after the previous movie, you can't have him be the sort of metal mask wearing thing that um, Julian McMahon did. So you have to get away from that. And I thought they did a pretty decent job of. Um, okay, it wasn't the comics Doctor Doom, but it, I thought they did a pretty good, pretty decent job of getting away from that. And I also. Okay, I didn't love the costume, but the way they explained that the, the, that his kind of suit had fused with his flesh, I thought yeah. played into the. Um, well, we haven't talked about the body horror aspects yet, but but played no. into played into the body horror aspects of the movie that that are kind of apparent later on, and yeah. and also and so that was quite a nasty sort of touch, and yeah, all right, they didn't do kind of enough with his face, I don't think, but he did have like real power, like that scene when he when he's. Um, striding through the uh, the building and attacking everybody was genuinely like oh my god yeah. he's like insanely powerful and uh and actually genuinely a threat for see like, okay i i have to disagree with that assessment because i like there were parts in this film like i don't know what it was like when you guys saw it but uh like there were bits where the audience were literally just openly laughing at how ridiculous the film had become and that was one moment where he's doing his scanners thing, walking around the corridors, like blowing up people's heads. People were just laughing at how ridiculous things had gotten. I quite liked him bubbling Tim Blake Nelson to death. Um, I thought that was that. I mean, again, yeah, we will mention the body horror, particularly in that middle sequence. But I, I really, I, I thought that looked cool, and I, and I was I was fine with him doing his whole Cronenberg scanners thing. What what became an issue for me was when they have that final showdown in the negative zone. It those powers didn't seem evident. It was like he had those powers, but then suddenly someone could distract him for a second and he didn't have them anymore, or mm. just like he got kicked and then all of a sudden he wasn't this all powerful thing. And I, I just yeah. I didn't believe for for one second that the plan that the team mounted at the end to defeat him, which was. Oh, so terrible. So, so <laughs> terrible. Yeah. But Miles Teller looking over his shoulder and going, uh, am I not as smart as you? Now! And then it takes like a full five seconds for the thing to appear and walk forward, have the time to deliver its clobbering time, and then punch him into a big blue laser that flies into the sky. And yeah. I... I, I, I and I was like, well, if you've introduced a character being that powerful, you can't have him taken down that easily. Mm-hmm. And this, yeah. I mean, and, and third acts are a problem for lots of superhero movies. I've mentioned many times before that the MCU struggles with them. But I think the MCU normally struggles with them for like maybe five or ten minutes right at the end of the film. Whereas I, don't, I felt like this was having those problems for us for like pretty much as soon as it flashed forward a year. Well, there was there was no like continuity in what he wanted before he got his powers and what he wanted after. Like at first, he's talking about he wants to have his inventions and you know get the glory, and then he gets his powers and he's just like not even a comic book sketch of a villain. He's just like ranting, insane, one note. Like well, he wants to, he wants to be the god of his own planet. Yeah, but it's but he already like, was. Well, so he was he was the god of his own planet, but then he wants to destroy the old one in the process because they didn't recognize his brilliance. They didn't respect his authority. And, 
<laughs> Indeed. Um, I mean, I got it. I just, I just didn't think it was. Yeah, maybe we were missing spending some time with him in the neutral zone. Not that I would have wanted that movie to do that, but <laughs> negative zone. I was, I was disappointed yes. that he that he went back to the to the to Planet Zero. I, I was hoping, like, you Is know, it... when he was kind of when they, when he came through to to um, to Earth. Uh, I was hoping it would be, that the climax was going to take place there, and then when yeah. they opened up the, the kind of portal into the sky, the, the portal between dimensions that we've seen in, that can uh. potentially destroy the other dimension that we've seen in so many yeah. kind of fantasy and comic, including the Avengers, obviously. Yeah, uh, I just thought, oh god, not this again. It yeah, was, I mean, there needs to the be a moratorium well. on blue lasers shooting <laughs> into the sky. There really does. Just change the color. Yeah, <laughs> at, the, at the very least, make them a different color. And actually, that that final showdown. That final showdown reminded me of the Green Lantern in a way. I remember watching the Green Lantern going, well, he's got this ring that lets him like do anything that his imagination allows. And he comes up with, what, racetracks and giant fists. <laughs> yeah. And D- Doctor Doom can shape this entire landscape on his whim. And he comes up with a couple of jagged rocks. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah. I-, I mean, it didn't help this. I thought this film had such a dreary visual palette. Um, obviously, very deliberately. Um, and, and, you know, they went for those lo-fi black suits. But I just thought, well, maybe pep it up a little bit. At least make at least make this final showdown interesting to look at in some way. What what's, One really thing was... that's interesting is all the energy on Planet Zero in the trailers was red. Oh, really? In the, in the movie, it's conspicuously green. It's like they kind of oh. looked at it and went, oh, this looks a bit too familiar. Like, can we change it to something a bit weirder? Oh, that is wait, weird. Wait, so they changed the energy from red in the trailers to to green in the in the film? Yeah. Are and you sure green, you're not? That, that green, green looks horrendous. <laughs> I don't know. It looked like toxic sludge that you would see in Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Well, in the in the trailers, it looks like lava. So I'm right. guessing that's why they did it to make it look more alien. But I quite like the green energy actually. <laughs> I I mean I I thought there was there was a couple of absolutely like clunking shots in in that sequence where they go to the negative zone and get the powers and everything goes wrong the moment where victor gets splashed with all the energy and then screams and falls back all felt like it was out of time almost that like he was screaming at the wrong point and it was i I mean that was one of the moments where i found myself laughing james was like this just is so (laughs) ridiculous and I was com- I was thinking back in my head to Chronicle, and there was a moment that really recalls Chronicle. I think Josh Rank probably did it deliberately, where like Johnny reaches out towards the energy, and rocks start floating, and there's like a little bit of static electricity. And I was thinking back when I was watching Chronicle, and they're getting the powers in that cave. <laughs> I was so interested in that tiny little glimpse of that cage and uh, of that cave, and what those powers were, and the kind of s- slightly like pulsing, shiny, almost like organic-y looking rocks and I was thinking oh, I really want to see more of that and then they did the same thing kind of but with this green ooze and I was like god this looks ridiculous how do you execute the same scene twice but so much better the first time around well quite <laughs> just since since we're talking about them going to zero for the first time and getting their powers mm. there's something that is complete and utter bullshit yeah. and that is yes. leaving yeah. Sue in the in the normal dimension, like leaving yeah. her back at the building while they it's, literally it's get what drunk they do and to go that off. character the whole way through the movie. They sideline her at any given opportunity. 
It was what you were talking about on the Ant-Man podcast about kind of like um, hope having to be um, kind of the straight-laced serious one while the men goof around. Well, it's yeah, it's the perennial problem with women characters, isn't it? Like, you know, they... Like, in Sue's case, yes, she's a maternal character, but they don't all have to be, like, stern mothers to the crazy kid men. No, well, and and we've already established this is a film that is giving you different takes on those characters. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you want Sue to not go, you have to justify it for a better reason than... she. Like, she still gets her powers... But she yeah. just gets them in a, in a, you know, in a rubbish peripheral way. Worse than her not going was the fact that they gave her her powers by having her sitting at the compu- at her computer when the sh- when the machine dematerializes in in their dimension and there's like an explosion and she's caught in it and that's how she gets her powers. Yeah, it's, like it, it's just... it turns a, it turns her in, into a victim of circumstance as opposed yeah. to like uh, a character with her own agency. It's just. Of all the decisions the film made, that's the one that just... I can't see any good in that in them making that decision. No, I have to say, I mean, as much as I'm trying to defend the movie, that's its, that's its main... That's its really serious misstep for me. That's the, its only really serious misstep for me, is that, is that sequence. Although, <laughs> the way... What they should have done with it is... You know, like, immediately after the, the, uh, the ship dematerialized, she gets her powers and whatever, there's a, there's a shot to the city... And they have that kind of pulsing wave that that goes through the city and knocks all the all the um, lights out yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right? They do a very similar thing on the Flash on the on the TV show The Flash when the, well, they the do, particle yeah. accelerator or whatever explodes and the whole city basically gets it gets um, gets a kind of wave like that going through it. If they had set up so that so that basically the thing that gave that sort of wave that gives Sue her powers also gives a whole bunch of other people in New York City superpowers. That would have been quite good, and then you could have set up, you could have easily set up like future Fantastic Four villains and, and things like that. Maybe that's what mutates people in the <laughs> Fantastic Four universe. Um, I mean, I didn't really like what I didn't like that it was drunkenness that sent them into making that decision in the first place. I mean, yeah, Vixer was obviously driven by jealousy and that whole kind of like the other generation taking the credit, the other people taking the credit for what they had done. But for Reed in particular, I mean, obviously Ben barely has a has an impact on it, and for, but for Reed and Johnny, I I kind of wanted it to be driven by something more than alcohol. Like it it, it would have been gr- really great if actually Reed did have some hubris that he needed to serve, or that or that just it was like some incredible folly, some like overconfidence. But the, like the, the the alcohol for me seemed to mitigate it somewhat. And then yeah, you're right. Not taking Sue along, not having her part of that bonding was disappointing. Yeah. Then her not coming along, and I, I mean I feel like they'd been sidelining her the whole way through the first half of that film. She smiles once in the movie when she's flirting with Reed um, in a scene that I, I I don't think really works anyway. And then the second half of the movie, I mean, similarly, they're all they're all experimenting with their powers, and everyone seems to know how to use them perfectly, apart from Sue. She seems to be the only one who has to struggle with them somewhat, and is keeping trying to learn them. Whereas Johnny and Ben are off; they're ready for military work. And Reed has, by the time he's got back, pretty much figured out how to get his powers down. And Sue's still learning hers, and it, it just it felt it felt like a a horrible misservice of that character the whole way through. And if people had problems with Black Widow in Age of Ultron... I mean, <laughs> yeah. 
this is this is that times this is this is the character that should launch the think pieces yeah i mean just just Whedon's on the right side of this fantastic four is on the wrong i mean one. does does fantastic four even have any other named female characters like there you see uh you see does ben and reed's mothers like for sort of one and a half scenes each yeah 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 like that's it. second and then there's sue and is there anyone else I don't remember. I don't even remember seeing many female uh, scientists around the Baxter Building. Really exactly. don't think there is. No, like, I, I criticised Ant Man for having a grand total of like four and a half female characters, and that's uh, three that and a half female been characters yeah. Than, yeah. than this has. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Are we yeah. Um, are we going to talk about the body horror stuff before we talk about the one year later segment? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because that for me is the best five minutes of the film. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. I mean, I really, I thought that was where the film was at its strongest, to be honest. Um, it's, the, it's, but, the, it's the tease that goes to, okay, they've just had their powers, now this is happening. Oh my God, what if this is the rest of the movie? I, I was watching it going, there are so many times in superhero properties where they, they kind of go like, oh, but what if the government got hold of you and such and such, and they and what they might do to you? And I, I think we've probably seen glimpses of that in X-Men with Wolverine, but... This was flat out, they had, the second they got the powers, the military had got hold of them and were flat out torturing Reed. And it was really uncomfortable. And that had gone, come straight after the shots of Reed looking around to find his friends. And one of them was burning and one of them was trapped inside an enormous pile of rocks. Actually, I thought that that reveal was fantastic. When I mean, I knew it, I saw it. Obviously, I saw it coming because because it was fairly obvious what they were doing. <laughs> but but it was still a great moment when he's crawling and crawling and crawling and really struggling to crawl. He's, he's got his leg trapped under a heavy yes, yeah, yeah. thing, and he's crawling towards Ben and crawling towards Ben, and then he turns around and looks at and sees his leg stretching away in front of him, and then basically yeah. passes out. I thought that was a great moment. Yeah. And again, like normally. Normally in superhero movies, and even in the previous one, in the previous Fantastic Four movie, they pretty much go, "Oh, cool! I've got superpowers. Look, I can do this. I can do that. Ooh, stretchy powers!" And he was like, "Oh my fucking god!" <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, was, see, okay, was... this is this is something that I think, like, if you want to do a body horror superheroes, that is fine, and I think it's well executed in this. I do think, tonally speaking, it's wrong for the characters because, like. I don't think it was wrong. Was it wrong for the characters that were established here, though? It's wrong for the property, say. Because, like, Fantastic Four is, aside from the fact that they've got, you know, the word fantastic in the title, like, it's an upbeat... uh, I don't want to say hokey, but, you know, it's a kind of... uh, You know, it's, it's supposed to be fun. And making a man who sets on fire into a kind of horror David Cronenberg thing isn't much fun. I mean, I, I don't know, I couldn't disagree with you more here, James. This is this is one of the times where I'm like, well, look, this is this is a movie adaptation, you've taken an idea, and if you're gonna if if a film has a fresh original take on it and yeah, there is a guy who sets on fire and there is a guy who turns into rock and there is a guy whose body completely stretches out of all kind of physical norms that does sound like the perfect material for body horror yes it's called the fantastic four on the page and it's upbeat and it's fun but i reckon if you just put those component elements down in front of someone in 2015 
Um, you can make a suitably nasty, unpleasant kind of body horror. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Superhero film out yeah, of it. And this and, film does for five minutes. And I, and I think the biggest disappointment was that it didn't follow through on it. I think more to the point, more to the point, if you're going to do a reboot, I mean, the, the, the previous two movies were already that kind of fun, you know, even quite slapsticky. Um, sort of joyful and yeah sort of in, in, enjoying being a superhero kind of side of things it, I think if you're going to do a reboot you can't if, if you know if the, if the Spider-Man movie showed anything you can't just do the same thing again and, uh, and so point. this this really is, is it took a bold new direction and I thought it pulled it off uh, in addition to the bits we've mentioned um, I really like the I don't know how big X-Files fans you guys are but I really like the Reed slithering through the air vent um, sequence, which, <laughs> yeah. which reminded me a lot of tombs. Yeah, if someone remade ET and made it like an alien invasion movie, where ET's chums come and like rip the planet to bits, which people, is what the sequel was going to be. People would go, "What the hell is this?" And that that was why combining Fantastic Four and body horror makes me just, you know, that's fine. But similarly, people, I mean, like you got a sequel to Aliens that was no longer a horror movie; it was a big action movie. It wasn't what the property was, but executed really well. It's really great, and it's one of the great examples of its genre. And I, I don't see any reason why this movie couldn't have been a very good example of a darker take on the superhero, despite the fact that it is based on the Fantastic Four. I think actually probably a a good example is, a good counterpoint is Man of Steel, which isn't a movie I love, but that that is a film that took a very different take on Superman from what exists on the page. And, um, like it or not, I think that movie is a lot more successful at slapping that tone onto that character. And, And I don't like the movie, but I think it is a more successful attempt at doing what this movie tried to do but I, I don't see any reason why either of those movies couldn't have succeeded while completely Well, in, in fairness to Man of Steel, it's called Man of Steel. It, this movie is called Fantastic Four. Also, let's not forget that like, it's only one element of this film. It's not like that body horror element is going to continue into the next film where they will presumably be oh, used true, to yeah, powers but operating like, as a team. If anything, that, that makes the scene more out of place. I mean, I, it was it was my favourite thing about the movie. I it think. was my favourite. I think, I think it was too, the thing yeah. that was, was most well executed to me as well. I, it wasn't my favourite thing. But then we get the one year later. So Reed runs away and leaves Ben there, shouting, kind of like, "Help me, help me!" And um, by the time we flash back, the movie's <laughs> ruined. 
right? Because because the whole film has been setting up this idea of like what this what it's been how this event is going to affect these characters and yeah. ultimately bring these characters to, to, together and we st- uh, that's the point at which we stop really caring about any of the characters and they're all completely split apart and there's there's no character work done in the second half it's just this character's doing that thing this well, character's doing that thing Reed well, is captured is. Reed's a, brought back and then Doom returns there's a year's worth of character development but it all hands <laughs> off screen yeah yes yeah I mean I, don't, wouldn't you want to see the the thing that bridges the gap between those characters being essentially tortured and experimented on and having these horrendous things existing to their bodies just to a year later where they've they've kind of got that <laughs> shit figured out it, yeah I and mean, they, they they none of them it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like ben has spoken to anyone else in the intervening year yeah, we that's... know that doom hasn't we know that reed hasn't and the only characters presumably that have interacted are um johnny and sue and they are barely <laughs> talking and that's that's the other weird thing that I didn't get about that whole sequence is that or that whole thing is that we should have seen them working as a like the military should have had them working as a team. Why didn't the military have them working together <laughs> as a team? They just had the thing out there smashing up tanks, Johnny flying around yeah, blowing up planes or sorry drones <laughs> and Sue doing whatever Sue was doing. And that was it. That was it was I mean it was it was just such a and also to buy the idea that Reed would spend an entire year out of out of kind of out in the wilderness, just what learning how to mould his face <laughs> and uh, and looking for machine parts. Yeah. Uh, See another yeah, another okay. part of the film that got unintentional laughs was the the bit where Thing is ripping a tank to bits, and then I think it's uh, Kimmy Schmidt's dad, whoever that whatever actor that is. Tim Blake Nelson. Tim Blake Nelson say, refers to it as being a covert operation. <laughs> and people literally laughing at the screen like there is nothing yeah. covert about ripping a tank to bits. But I also... I, I have to say, um, there is this thing about the kind of atmosphere in which you see a film. And I, I, saw, a, I saw it in the, on the Wednesday morning National Press Show. And so there was only, probably only about sort of 20 or 30 other sort of film reviewers there so there wasn't that laughter we didn't have that kind of <laughs> no you know, there was I no mean, kind I... of real fanboy presence if you like in the in the audience so it may I, mean, I, I watched fair, it I in a i watched I it in a public screening one of these cineworld unlimited preview screenings and the, the, there wasn't an empty seat in the cinema but it was dead silent the whole way through and I can tell you from what little I overheard of people talking as they left the cinema that, that wasn't because they were enraptured it was because they were like bored Stunned. I think really really bored uh, right. I, I mean that that's that's another thing I would say about this movie it's a terrible criticism to make but um it's a boring film. <laughs> it's a really boring film for long stretches because I think it has pretensions to address those themes of family and the generational stuff. And Josh Trank has name dropped David Cronenberg. There was a there was an attempt to do body horror Cronenbergian stuff in this film, and I think because it doesn't come together, you don't get the enjoyment of this really subtly built and executed movie you don't get the payoff to the slow burn. 
And so that slow burn just feels like a slow burn that, that fizzles out. So ultimately, I mean, this film doesn't go for it. You've basically got the, se- the sequence where they get their powers in the neutral zone. Uh, the, I keep calling it neutral zone. The, um, the <laughs> negative zero. zone. Yeah, yeah, Planet Zero, and then you get the showdown at the end, and that's it. There isn't really action outside of that. And well, there's the that's there's fine. The, I don't um, want my superhero movies to be all action all the time, but you've got to pay off what you establish. Otherwise, it just feels like a drag, and I I just think this movie is going to be really boring for people. I did enjoy the um, the thing versus Mister Fantastic sequence. The um, or the thing or, versus or Reed four sequence. seconds of it. Well, I know it should have been longer, but it was. But it was. It was good because the because the effects were quite were, were well done. They used actually that one thing I do want to say about this film again. They use Reed's stretchy powers much better on screen here than they did in the in the previous films. Like the, the kind of way he was fighting. Well, it was just comical like was, in the last one, wasn't it? Yeah, well, they, they barely did anything except to have him stretch his arms, didn't they? In the last one, I, I don't. And maybe I seem to remember his neck stretching, like around doors and stuff like. That. Yeah. Does he flatten yeah. around, flatten himself under a door or something? In the, in, the, in the same point, and at least they actually had him fighting in this in a way that was interesting. And somebody had thought about, okay, what would you? How would you fight if you could? If you could stretch various sort of but again, limbs. I mean, I'd compare that to like the scene where Thor fights Iron Man in the first Avengers film, and that is such a thrilling sequence. And yeah, they they I think they realise the thing really well, and I think they show um, yeah the stretchy powers pretty well. But it lasted two or three seconds, and that's that. And and we we like thing has one swing at Reed and misses, and then he just drags him in, off, doesn't he? and. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like how, yeah, like he's he takes out Reed by headbutting him, but Reed is made of rubber. So how does that work? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, for me, that's like a yeah, that's a, that's a niggly thing. But what I would much rather is an action sequence that, or a sequence where these two characters, one best friend who has just been betrayed or seemingly betrayed by by another, when they finally meet again after a year. To actually have some real character beats in that, other than one character say "you yeah. left" and the other one say "I'm sorry," yeah, see, and then it ends. A, this is a genre thing that Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV series, did very well, which is that to recognise that fights in superhero comics and, by extension, films are supposed to be metaphors for character conflict. Hmm. Like you don't have a fight for no reason, yeah. Especially when it's between two heroes, like the fight is an expression of some other. Uh, aspect of their personality or emotions which i feel and i I don't want people listening to this think that we're just um mcu fanboys except i I probably am i'm sorry (laughs) but the last two marvel movies this summer have done that they have done action that means stuff and i don't think avengers age of ultron's a masterpiece by any stretch and ant-man's not either but they're both solid movies that have figured out what they're doing within their given formulas uh, which is the same, and uh, <laughs> and uh, they they're at least they're at the very least competent from start to finish. If that's not your bag, it's not your bag. But they know what they're doing, and I just, this film at so many points felt flat out incompetent. I I agree that that was another kind of wasted opportunity. But there is a long kind of um, um, fantastic for sort of rich fantastic for history of Reed and Ben falling out. And Ben feeling betrayed and and resenting Reed and wanting sometimes wanting to kill him and and things like that and it's so to just to just sort of acknowledge that 
Well, I was glad. I was glad they acknowledged. Let's put it. Let's put it this way. I was glad they acknowledged that. Yeah. But they, that, that 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 for me would be like the almost the thesis of this film. It acknowledges stuff without really exploring it or paying it off. I mean that that is yeah, yes, that's it, interesting. It acknowledges but, Reed and Sue's relationship, but doesn't do anything with it. It yeah. acknowledges the idea that maybe Doom wants Sue for himself, but doesn't do anything with it. And that's fine if the idea is, oh, we've got all this fertile ground to explore in the sequel, <laughs> but well, it doesn't yeah, make actually, for yes. a good film. I was going to say exactly that. It, it's uh, and it's perverse to say it, but the fact that it wasn't there in this film made me kind of. I thought that was quite a bold move, like leaving that sort of stuff, leaving essentially the character development for the second movie. Like that's and that's kind of what I was getting at earlier. Okay, it doesn't it doesn't really pay off, but it was, but I think it was deliberate. It's I a mean, risky uh, risky strategy though. Isn't it, it is well, a risky possibly, strategy. Yeah. This, yeah, this is a film that was announced with very shortly afterwards a sequel given a release date. I mean, I think I think the next Fantastic Four film is supposed to be released in twenty seventeen. I mean, whether that actually happens now, I think probably, I think probably this movie needs a very, very strong box office performance this weekend to get a sequel because I think it's on like something like seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> I was at about the moment. To look it up. Um, so obviously, the, I the thought the sequel was happening anyway. Is the sequel not happening anyway? Well, I there'll be conditions, won't there? There'll be box office conditions. As I mean, to whether... Green, Green Lantern got a sequel announced when that came out, and and it just didn't happen because it it wouldn't. I I honestly think now for that movie to still actually move forward and happen, it would take it would take a, a really pretty strong box office performance. And if it does, if it doesn't get that, then the only way I can see the Fantastic Four returning is with some fairly major propping up from the X-Men. Right. Okay, so so kind of after Ben has brought Reed back in, we finally got the Fantastic Four in one building together. Um, and Reed can suddenly fix all the problems that they've been having for the past year in getting back to the negative zone, despite the fact that they'd already been there. That was another bit I liked the um, the the line about I'm just sort of treat, treat the source code and Tim Blake Nelson goes it can't be as simple as that <laughs> like he's really pissed off and it's yeah, just he's like oh, it, might, that, it might take less than the 10 things minutes. that the kids know that he doesn't know that was one of those moments where I was like oh yeah My- Miles Teller's really charismatic he can he can sell a he can sell a great gag like that mm-hmm. um, I can't I, I can't believe kind of that I walked out of this movie thinking. Yeah, I think all of those actors kind of got those characters right and disliked it as much as they did. I mean, like I said, I thought Toby Kebbell was really great with with the little he got. Nice that he got to share the screen with a monkey again after his uh, (laughs) starring role in uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. But yeah, so basically Reed tweaks the machine, which means that they're able to go back. Except this time they're not allowed to go, so people are actually going in their place that time. Which I I found really strange that they're like, okay, we're sending people back. I mean, I know you guys went and fucked shit up last time, but now you all have superpowers, so maybe you would be the best people to send. Yeah. And you know, and you've been there before. <laughs> well, that was that was fine. I mean, that was I had that thought at first as well, and then I realised what they were essentially doing was sending over a bunch of red shirts. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and so Doom comes back, and yeah, you're right, Matt. It, it continues that theme of body horror with that. I, I actually, when I say that Doom looked horrendous, I liked I liked that idea that is suit had fused with his body and like actually from the neck down I thought the costume looked fine and 
when he put a cape on and you could see the body in the cape, I thought that was great. It was just his face was awful. And I have a real problem with, I mean, uh, you use the two Hulks as an example, Ed Norton's Hulk, which was, there was no Ed Norton discernible in that Hulk. And now you look <laughs> at what Mark Ruffalo is able to do because he is doing genuine performance capture and he gets to emote with his eyes and move his lips. And there is the character behind that there. And considering how relatively well I thought they did with the thing, um, the voice modulation, I think, works for the character, especially because Jamie Bell's American accent was uh, (laughs) dodgy at best (laughs) beforehand. (laughs) But with Doom, and considering how how impressed I was with Toby Kebbell, for him to just be nothing, no no way to emote whatsoever. It was a bit 60s Doctor Who villain, wasn't it? Just like rubber face painted silver. He spent a year sort of hanging around on zero doing nothing, apparently. Like, he made a cloak, and then he injured his leg at some point shortly before they came back. Well, Reed says, Reed says it all looks different, but we don't really... Well, it just looks. It, it, it basically, look it looks different. to me that like it's flat, whereas before there was a cliff. Yeah, well, like, it did explode just as you were leaving last time, so that's probably a small factor. Hmm. What does Do- what does Doctor Doom have on the page? Because I genuinely don't know. Like all I know is what he looks like. What does he do? He okay. He is a genius, and he has his kind of Iron Man style armor, uh, and he has learnt sorcery for reasons that I'll get into one day. Okay, yeah. and so and he, has, but, and he can fire like you know sparkly bolt things from his armor. Right. So yeah, he's, like, the, he's basically like the evil Iron Man if you want to look at it that way. Well, he's also the emperor of his own country, and so he's essentially a, a sort of dictator. Yeah. Um, and designs on world domination and and all that sort of thing, and and also he just has a really cool name. <laughs> Oh, uh, that line in the film, guys. That line oh, in the film. God. Oh, she says... Oh, no, uh, Sue says, Dr. Doom over here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, right, guys. No. And I don't know if you remember, I was reminded of this by um, uh, one of our pals over at Film Divider, Brendan Connolly. Um, the, in the marketing for this film, he was Victor Von Domashev. And that was definitely something that was going to happen. And you could, I, I mean, I don't know if you spotted, but through the film, a, a good way to see it from a visual point was Kate Mara's horrendous wigs. In one scene, <laughs> she's rocking kind of normal, kind of like blondy hair that's a little bit ragged and has kind of brown roots but then at other times she's wearing a wig that looks like she's just borrowed it off Jessica Alba in 2005 and at other times it's different lengths and so obviously this film has been called in for some fairly heavy reshoots and I thought that scene in particular where she says oh Doctor Doom over here was so clearly a reshoot and um, in fact I thought a lot of the scenes were kind of Franklin went in and was talking to them individually, felt like they had been added in later. And it all seemed to me to be like plot explanation or telling you what someone else was thinking rather than actually doing any of those character moments. So I just have to wonder what was taken out of this film to be replaced by all of those awful moments. And there is some fairly clunky ADR. I don't know if you noticed it as well, but I kept seeing things and thinking this is not from the original pass of this movie. This is so much, so much stuff. Uh, the Domashev thing. Uh, I don't think they ever officially released that name. Like, it leaked and people panned it. 
rightly so. But, it, but why rightly so? Why can he not be Von Domashev and then name himself Doctor Doom afterwards? Wasn't he at one point? Wasn't he supposed to have a Doctor Doom blog? I think I well, think again, that was that something was... that Toby Kebbell said that he was like a blogger, and I think by that he meant <laughs> that he was that long-haired kind of yeah, guy on his computer, nerd. kind of hacking into stuff and causing havoc on the internet, basically. Like right. again, whether whether you believe Josh Trank or not, like on the Kevin Smith podcast, he was directly like before the release of the film, he was saying like that was never the intention, and that was like a name they were using on set to obscure the kind of comic book origins, which was a thing he wanted to do. Because, like, you know, he didn't give any of them... Like, he told them all not to read the comics. Right. Like, uh, he to... said... Yeah, he said that was never intended to be in the film. Whether you believe him or not is another matter. But Back to um, Sue's hair uh, thing. I actually mm. I actually thought it was quite a nice touch. I noticed the, they'd... I noticed the change, the initial when she's suddenly blonde, much blonder. But that was in the um, that was kind of after she'd had her powers for a while, and I thought it was maybe I like definitely a result of that as well. I I, I I I definitely noticed it like twenty twenty five minutes into the movie. I think it's like after the first scene that Reed and Sue have together in the Baxter Building in the library. The very next scene where you see Sue, she like walks from one room with longer hair and then is platinum blonde with slightly shorter hair and that literally as she walks through a door. Um, <laughs> right. I think, I, I I mean, that's that's why I kind of, I'm, I'm not sure if I said this on mic or not, I would love to go back and watch this film again kind of with a fine tooth comb. I would love to hear an, a, an honest oral history of this movie to figure <laughs> out what changes were made and when and what was reshot and why things were changed because yeah. I, I genuinely think this movie has been one of those that has changed things in the past six months in reaction to the first trailer, in reaction to the way that the internet has talked about leaks, and the way that the internet has written this film off as a failure from six months out. And I do I do wonder whether if it had been left alone and Fox just thought it was tracking fine, that we might have had a lot of those interesting threads actually pay off. Well specifically the fi- like the final act is so ridden with like cliches and like unearned moments that you just have seen a hundred times in any other film. Like I, I feel like that whole, the whole ending was written by committee and it just feels like they said like when Franklin dies, have him, have him tell them to become a team. Oh God. Oh, when he, when he spoke, I mean, that, that was actually one moment where my screening room actually did laugh, which was when (laughs) Franklin, given that the last guy got bubbled and burst to death inside like a hazmat suit that, I just assumed that something similar had happened to Franklin, mm-hmm. but no, he's laid on the ground so he can have his one last message to his children yeah. saying, uh, be a team. And everyone laughed. Everyone just flat out laughed. Um, so, so let's talk about that final showdown. I mean, Matt, are you on the same page of us here that that, as soon as they go through for that final fight in the negative zone, it is a whole lot of nothing. Or was there really? anything that you found to like in that final fight? Reluctantly, yes, that is that is. I, I had the same kind of sinking feeling, really, when that when that started happening. I would have liked the finale to have taken place in the uh, in Earth, on Earth for, for one thing. Apart from, like I was saying, where, where I think where I thought like they kept they deliberately kept them apart so that they could come together to fight Doom, and that idea being there, uh, there wasn't 
there wasn't much else to it, really. At the start of that final act, for all four of them to run separately and try and use their powers and all be stopped, and then suddenly they're all able... Even though Doom has got these all-powerful powers, suddenly they're all, like... They're both of, they're able to throw the rocks off themselves and finally stand up and sue, even though that that energy is pounding down on her, eventually disappears because Doom gets knocked over, and then they literally walk back together and say, We can't beat him. He's strong he, he's stronger than each of us, yes, but he's not stronger than all of us together. No, oh. he is. He definitely is. He definitely oh. is. Have you, seen, yeah. have you seen what he's done? Yeah. He'll blow your head up as soon as look at you. And so their plan, and even even that final thing of them all teaming up to defeat Doom, they don't actually need Johnny to do that thing that they do. <laughs> like so, their plan he is to get the jo- things, yeah. Johnny flies at him, and he kind of like takes a bit of a hit and then fires Johnny away, and then Reed runs up and starts doing his stretchy stuff <sighs> to. No I, I assume let himself be ca- to be grabbed by Doom, but let him monologue for long enough that Sue is able to sneak up the thing invisibly, unleash the thing, and the thing can then deliver a catchphrase and then punch him hard enough and directly enough into the laser. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's bad. It's really, really bad. The, yeah. the bit in that fight... I think Johnny like sets him on fire and then the thing tries to chuck a giant rock at him and then Reed walks up and does like a stretchy punch right in his face. And it's just like, is this like this is the extent of our imagination, is it? Yeah. And and, and as I say, like none of those powers would ever have any threat to do to the doom that we saw five yeah, minutes ago. To the earlier. head exploding maniac. Yeah, and Doom yeah, yeah. doesn't even get to say anything other than like to like briefly recall that he had a rivalry with Reed, which I liked the idea of the rivalry, but it kind of it kind of just left it there. And then I, I guess they were trying to trying to do some more with the fact that Reed was the one who dropped Victor. The thing about their relationship in the comics and what makes it work and what what makes Doom such a good villain is that he's so arrogant and yet all of his failures are his own, and he blames them on Richards because he can't handle being second best. Hmm. And I thought when when he fell into the, you know, into the green energy and it was Reed who ostensibly couldn't hold on to him, I thought they were going to make a big thing of like, you know, I'm this way because of you. It's your fault when actually it's all Doom's fault. Yeah. And there were, and there were hints they, at the start with like Doom, Doom, um, when he calls Reed over and he's like, oh, you, you should be doing your work. And he's like, oh, I've done my work. And yeah. he's like, no, you're, you're being inappropriate. Yeah, I quite like that, and the, and the fact that I mean, I, again, I liked a lot of these ideas on paper that Victor would be attracted to Sue as well, and like he says at the end, like, oh, we should have been together, Sue, and you're thinking, well, that would be that would be a theme or an idea that would be interesting if you had elaborated on the idea of there being a potential relationship between Reed and Sue. But unless you know the source material, that's not in this film, other than they flirt a bit in one scene. It's hinted at something, but not followed up on it. In, in it, literally one scene. Yeah, well, everything, like all of it, there's literally one... And what was all the stuff about her recognising patterns, just so, and, or, and her, like, listening to music, just so she could find, to have an explanation that she could find Reed? I mean, that would, if that was, I was expecting maybe that her being able to spot patterns would 
have some impact on the final showdown with Doom. Yeah, again. And, and the way that she understands people, or yeah, maybe she I mean, could have got a better understanding of Johnny, or maybe she could have had a better idea of what the military wanted to do with them and explain that to her brother. It would have made sense. Yeah. But none of that comes to fruition. And that's not something you just drop in a film that someone, yeah. like, and mention two or three times about someone being great at spotting patterns. I found it weird that they were like, oh, yeah, she, she's good at spotting patterns and she's making uh, environment suits. Like, yeah. what? She's spotting the pattern of the fabric? Like, yeah. really? What, what's that got to do with anything? Well, she's a, she's a woman, isn't she? She's, she's good at designing. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that that is, for me, the... Of everything this film does wrong, that's the one that I can't actually get my head around what it was in the first place and yeah, how yeah. anyone thought that that was a good idea to treat that character the way mm-hmm. that they did. Particularly now, when they're so aware of of that of those issues coming up time and time again, like the badly treated female characters, badly written female characters in, in properties like this, it just seems crazy that they can still make all those mistakes well, in 2015. Kind of look back at Chronicle and the way that film treated its one female character. Yeah, and I think well, well yeah. he's kind of got form, and just no one's explained to him like, "Don't be a dickhead." I mean, I to mean, be fair, Sue is not like, you know, in the early, perhaps, perhaps it's better later on, but throughout like Fantastic Four history, Sue was pretty badly, like, yeah, used like, in the comics too. Like, she's basically just in love with Reed and worries about everybody, and that's kind of it. She like at first she's there to get captured and rescued. Like, it, yeah, yeah. I in mean, the, I, in the sixties comics, it. You know, it's not great. But. I mean, I, but, but I mean, <laughs> but that's it's not, not an excuse. excuse. But that was the '60s, and this is 2015. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there have been complaints about the use of women in all three superhero movies this summer. But I mean, I think actually, when you go back and look at it, Man: Age of Ultron did a good job compared to <laughs> it. Really did. Um, and I, I think, I think, hopefully, we are reaching a turning point. Um, I was just watching today, like some uh, this funny or die video where Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart um, are in- interviewing each other about um, American Ultra, actually coming from the writer of Chronicle, uh, and it's like set up as a what they like. Kristen Stewart is asking Jesse Eisenberg the questions that women are normally asked at junkets, and Jesse mm-hmm. Eisenberg's doing the opposite. And um, you know, films are even now kind of factoring that into their marketing. Like, I think there is an acknowledgement at some kind of higher level that this is a thing that, at the very least, the internet responds positively to and um, passionately to, which is to draw attention to the, 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 the gender imbalance in movies as a whole, but particularly blockbuster movies yeah. um, at present. And it feels like we are kind of reaching that point of no return where it is now in these movies' best interests to do it the other way yeah it's exactly. these movies like, aren't just for teenage boys anymore they don't want the negative press of oh look another film where women get sidelined hmm. like yeah. if that's all their motivation then fair enough because ultimately it's going to lead to better films for everyone okay well i, I mean i think i think that brings us at, at, um mostly to the end of our discussion do you do you guys have any closing thoughts or anything that we haven't mentioned or matt if you just want to make one final uh Final defence of this movie, or reminders of the bits that you that you liked about it. I, I, I no. <laughs> <laughs> have we, I think have we ground you. I think we've said you it, down with it. I think we've said it all. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. can we talk about the final scene? 
because the final oh, scene for God. me was like some kind of slow hellish torture <laughs> after the previous 15 minutes like I guess that this is not yes this wasn't a film that was ever going to like find it easy to brand them as the Fantastic Four at the end yeah. but like I remember James when you were getting an- annoyed about the Ant-Man marketing being wor- like scared of calling him Ant-Man or <laughs> making a joke out of it and then we actually get like a full on like two page scene at the end of this film where they're pussyfooting around the idea that they're called the Fantastic Four from now on. Yeah. I, I have to say, I quite enjoyed the badness of that scene. It was awful. It was awful, oh. but I quite enjoyed how awful it was. I was like sh- shriveling up in my seat. Again, going, what, like, what, what, and I was in- thinking. And I was thinking, they're going to cut before he says it, aren't they? And sure enough, that's what they did. In the, screen, in the screening I saw again, everyone was just like audibly cringing, like going, no, don't say it, don't, please. And I... I, I guess what they were doing there was setting their stall out for what this potential sequel would be. Uh, because there's that moment where, like, Johnny says something to Ben about, like, how about we call ourselves the three guys and the thing that no one invited? And, yeah, I because I have seen the previous films and I know that Johnny likes to banter at Ben, but at the end of that movie where they've barely spoken <laughs> to each other, I was yeah. like... Yeah, dude, it's, it's leave so, that guy alone. It's just mean spirited, isn't it? I I did like the um, the idea that the thing got was got his name as because that was his military code name. Was it? Was that was that what happened? I, <laughs> yeah, I it was on. A, it was on in the footage of um, or or in one of the sort of shots of the papers. It said Ben Grimm, code name the thing. Did any of the other of them actually get referred to by their names? No, no I don't I think mean, so. No, it's difficult at the best of times to justify Mr. Fantastic, but especially in that film, (laughs) there was no way they were going to get that code name in there. But I mean, I feel like I feel like Miles Teller has the like what I I could see thinking that that scene would work with Miles Teller at the middle of it. But like, it was the moment where the thing was the one who said like, "Oh, isn't this fantastic?" And I'm like, "Is it?" (laughs) you enjoyed about this whole experience yeah. was it the bit where the military made you into a murderer yeah and now you're I looking think... at a room full of computers when you are the one guy who has no interest in the science I thought he was just admiring the room <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah and he also seemed like a character that, that often described things as fantastic that yeah. seemed like really in his you know day to day vocab Maybe yeah. It, but like yeah, so the, so the moment where the moment where Johnny says that thing to Ben, I thought it came off as incredibly mean. <laughs> but I get, I guess, did you did you think at that point in that movie with those four characters in the position they were, that there was a much better sequel to be made if they ever get around to making it? Yes, absolutely. Yes, I, and, I genuinely want to see the sequel. I mean, I, I'm excited to see. I'm hoping they do get to make a sequel because I would like to see it. I mean, I, I kind of feel like the sequel is what I wanted the second half of the movie to be. Yeah. James, do you want to see the sequel? I wish I could go back and erase my memory of having seen this one. <laughs> I, do think, I do think almost by default the sequel couldn't be worse. <laughs> Genuinely optimistic for a sequel. I'd, I uh, yeah, would like I, to see it. I, I mean, I think I possibly would approach a sequel in the same way I'm approaching Batman vs Superman, which was, wasn't in love with the first one, but I guess you've got the tools in place that you could do something a lot better. See, the last like the last couple of minutes of Man of Steel I thought promised a better film than Man of Steel, but I mm. didn't get that impression at all here. I just thought the last couple of minutes promised a film even 
cheesier than this one. Uh, well, I mean, maybe an injection of some kind of personality. <laughs> In fact, I mean, that, that last scene actually did seem like it was like the prequel for the Tim Story <laughs> films. It's the scene that set up the Tim Story <laughs> That is a fair mm. point. Uh, okay, um, and, and just briefly, I mean, James, you wanted to touch on the rights issues of Fantastic Four because I think there's a lot of people out there assuming that this, the reviews have already kind of put the nail in the coffin for Fox and the Fantastic Four. What, what do you see happening from here? I mean, I, I think anyone who thinks that this movie flopping, if that is indeed what happens, like it's, it's currently Thursday, you know, we, we don't know how it's going to perform. Hmm. We know that it's done badly critically, but I think even if it's a financial flop, you'd have to have a very short memory to think the first thing Fox will do is go to Marvel and say, how much will you give us? I mean, because, famously, they don't get on. Yeah, to begin like, with, Marvel and Fox just aren't interested in cooperating for whatever reason, and that's fine. And Fox like, can, if they want, shelve the sequel plans, put Fantastic Four on the back burner again, and revisit it in six or seven years when the rights renew, when they need to make another Fantastic yeah, Four movie or give it like, back. The situation, at least as the public understands it, is that they have to make a Fantastic Four film every seven years to keep the rights. And if they don't go into production by a certain date, they automatically revert. Hmm. And especially while superhero movies are doing so well, I can't, can't see Fox saying, let's cut our losses. Because no, yeah. like people weren't saying about this film, Rise of the Silver Surfer was rubbish, I'm not going to go and see this one. And that was seven years ago. So yeah, and Marvel are in no rush to use any Fantastic Four characters now. I'm sure they would. I'm sure they would love to have them sat there, yeah, with like the option Marvel, to use them. But it, no, would, it would be five or six years before they have the time to do that. Yeah, anyway. I have no doubt that Marvel would do great things if they had like Galactus and the Silver Surfer and Doctor Doom. But at the same time, they don't need them. They've got a huge catalogue. Okay, well, um, we'll have to see what happens. Um, whether we do get a Fantastic Four sequel and whether we do eventually get um, some kind of X-Men crossover, which is certainly what was being floated as an idea um, in in the weeks leading up to this movie's release. But for now, um, let's do some comic book recommendations based on Fantastic Four. And Matt, I believe uh, you have come armed with a recommendation for me. A recommendation of sorts, yes. It's, uh, it's a run of um, the original... 1960s issues of, uh, of Fantastic Four. It's basically oh. issues 52 to 60, Excellent. and they're yeah. and they're currently available in a in a collection called Doomsday, which is not a sort of traditional traditionally published um, uh, edition. It's basically it's it's in a series called Marvel Pocket Books, which are mostly dedicated to reprinting old issues, but sometimes do kind of newer newer things as well. Um, you can you can certainly find them on Amazon, mm. but um, so essentially it's just a few. It's a sample of of kind of early Doctor, Do- very early Doctor Doom stories, and just to give you an idea of what the original source material was for that character and those, you know, and the Fantastic Four's interaction with that character. Excellent, James. What are you recommending me based on Fantastic Four? Uh, I'm going to recommend you the first trade paperback of Jonathan Hickman's run on Fantastic Four. Uh, it's just called Fantastic Four by Jonathan Hickman. Uh, it's drawn by Dale e- Eaglesham and Neil Edwards. Uh, it's six issues, I think, 570 to 575. But it's it's the start of a very long run 
by Jonathan Hickman, which is actually culminating in Secret Wars. Uh, just to give you an idea of how sort of long form we're talking, like this this was published maybe five years ago, and there's essentially been a continuous story in Jonathan Hickman's comics from now until this point. Okay. Um, but yeah, this is it's Jonathan Hickman as a writer is very noted for his kind of structural uh, detail and uh, sort of scientific uh, fastidiousness. It's similar to this film in that it's a very kind of science and exploration heavy take on the Fantastic Four, which is the way I think they work best. And also, like, the familial elements right up there as well. Uh, I will, I'm not sure how easy it will be to pick up. I mean, it was the start of his run, and it doesn't explicitly build on anything else. The only, the only, in, you know, the only point that I think you won't know about them is that it's got the Fantastic Four's children in, which are Franklin and Valeria. Who uh, we touched on on a previous uh, yeah, yeah, explained something to me. Yeah. yeah, so it's got those characters in, but aside from that, it's pretty much the classic Fantastic Four as you know them. I would just just say that the um, the thing I recommended has the sort of classic Jack Kirby artwork, and um, excellent, and it's yeah, worth that, picking up. Yeah, it's worth the... it's worth looking at just for that. Yeah, is it Stanley? It is Stanley. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. And it has you know it has all the family dynamic stuff we've been talking about, and the. Uh, you know, and, and as, as I say, the sort of great artwork, and I, I'm, I'm fairly certain it has kind of like the sort of single panel, you know, sorry, single page splashes that Kirby does. Mm. Um, yeah, like Fantastic Four is, can, you know, it's pretty much Lee and Kirby's definitive statement. Yeah, like Lee, I, I think Lee and Ditko Spider-Man is probably better, but if you're yeah. talking about Stanley and Jack Kirby, it's you know, Fantastic Four's got to be it. Yeah. Okay, um, well, let's move on now to our final section, which is the pitch. And this week, um, I want you to pitch me something that could still feasibly happen, and that is the potential X-Men Fantastic Four crossover. So I want to know, if you guys were planning an X-Men Fantastic Four crossover, how you would do it? James, I'll come to you first on this one. We've talked about how Franklin Richards is a mutant before, yeah? Yes. Have we done that? Yeah. So Franklin Richards is a mutant with the ability to, like, shape reality, essentially. Like, he's super powerful. Obviously, that's where the crossover with X-Men comes. Like, he, on discovering he's a mutant, they take him to Xavier's to get, sort of, assessed. Uh, and the X-Men are in it. And that's pretty much my crossover. <laughs> like, so that I would just... require, in the Fantastic Four sequel, for um, Reed and Sue to waste no time getting busy... Uh, I'd have a significant time jump. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. It would say ten well, years later. That's just an excuse for them to meet, though. What happens? No, that's it. They meet. <laughs> well, I think. Well, I, frankly, I think mine's going to win by default. Then. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's some fighting talk. To be fair, uh, I was I was going to go with the more serious answer, but I just my sensibilities don't allow me to marry those properties in any. Like, there's no sane way to do it. I just I can't see how they're going to do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, comics history has not been that bothered about having the X-Men fight the Fanta- interact with the Fantastic Four in any really significant yeah, I way. I mean, you can list the times they've done it on one hand and they're all bad. Mine is you bring in old-school Fantastic Four villain, the Puppet Master, who, <laughs> has the, who basically sort of makes dolls. He's a bit like a voodoo guy. He makes dolls uh, with special mind-controlling clay or something, and then <laughs> which enable him to... You know, mentally control the the characters he's made the dolls of. 
So he's a long-standing um, Fantastic Four villain. He wants to destroy the Fantastic Four. So he basically he controls whichever X-Men are contractually available and, uh, <laughs> and sends them all to, to fight Reed and Co. I think that's, you know, like it's, what more do you want? I mean, basically, the, qu- the question you have here is, would you rather see another superhero crossover where they turn up and fight, or do you want to see one where they have a nice sit-down and talk about their, their child's educational future? <laughs> uh, so Matt wins the pitch this week <laughs> on behalf of Seb. I'm sure Seb will be absolutely thrilled with that. Um, I, I say, I mean, personally, I say after seeing that film, you use the... Uh, you use the negative zone, especially after how you've described it. The the Fantastic Four and the X Men probably. I think it's been confirmed that they don't exist in the same universe right now on the screen. I mean, certainly, I don't know if you guys watching the Fantastic Four felt in any way that they were that that was a world that mutants existed in as well. No, I mean yeah. there was no hint of it, was there? No. So I, I'm presuming that they're in a different universe, and X Men has already established that idea anyway. Beyond their total lack of surprise at getting superpowers in the first place. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Um, but yeah, so maybe, so maybe they they use the uh, the negative zone as a way to as a way to meet, and then one of them goes over to the other universe, and then you don't have to keep them in the same universe at the end. They but go back to that's their respective my, universes. That's, once that's just my done. idea. Except in mine, they drive to Xavier's. Okay, uh, well, that is it for this week. Matt, thanks a lot for uh, stepping in for Seb and joining us. Um, is there anything you want to plug before you head off, your Twitter or any, any writing or anything? Actually, yes, there is. Um, relevant to this, my, my Twitter is at FilmFan1971, and I've written a series of comics-to-screen pieces for a blog called Mostly Film. Mm. So if you just Google Mostly Film comics-to-screen, they'll all come up. What, which, covered... uh, which comics have you written about so far? I've covered Ant-Man... Um, Thor, Captain America, The First Avenger, The Avengers movie, and a couple of others as well. I think I've done both X-Men movies as well. Excellent. Okay, uh, so yeah, listeners, uh, check those out. Uh, But yeah, that is properly it for this week. If you are enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast of choice. And if you've already subscribed, then please leave us a rating or review. Um, That is something that in the past month, John A. 1979 has done on iTunes. Now, he did only give us three stars, so there's room for improvement, obviously. (laughs) Uh, But actually, he did say a lot of kind things in that that three-star review. He just doesn't like that um, Seven James constantly slag off DC. Is that fair? Is that fair, James? It's fair to me. It's not fair on Seb. He loves that. He loves that rubbish. He just doesn't like Man of Steel. Uh, it's all Man of Steel's fault. Honestly, say, listen further, fair, you'll find. Yeah, it, it's Zack Snyder we don't like, not DC. Like, I'm a yeah. big fan of many DC comics. Yeah, in fact, I would say as much as come back on our next episode and you might hear a lot of positive things about DC. And if you want to find out what film that is, um, you'll have to wait till the end of the podcast. Um, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter at CU underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. You can find previous episodes of the podcast at cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com and because this is a Film Divider podcast on filmdivider.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.
A vigilante is just a man lost in the scramble for his own gratification. He can be destroyed or locked up. But if you make yourself more than just a man, if you devote yourself to an ideal, and if they can't stop you, then you can become something else entirely. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Batman Begins.